Welcome to Strictly Jojo, a podcast dedicated to Jojo's Bizarre Adventure, where every Jojo episode is reviewed by casuals for casuals. My name is Courtney. This is episode 16, and we're reviewing part two, Battle Tendency, Lisa Lisa Hamon Coach. As always, there'll be spoilers for this episode and anything that's happened in the Jojo anime, so you've been warned. And we'd like to emphasize that last point one more time. Don't one we? <laughs> final time. Our final Hamon. As a reminder, we are switching up our format a little bit um, that we are going to include spoilers from across the JoJo anime. So we're not going to, um, we're no longer going to maintain spoilers to anything that's happened up until the episode that we're reviewing, but we're going to open it up to all spoilers in the JoJo anime. Um, this is so that we can have, you know, more in-depth conversations about JoJo, kind of let our, our JoJo nerdiness flow i guess and it's going to be especially important for this episode because there's a major plot point that doesn't get revealed until the end of part two um specifically around lisa lisa and joseph's connection but we're going to talk openly about it right from the get-go with this introductory episode for lisa lisa so again you've been warned yes for the last time spoilers beware <laughs> um, and before we get into it, quick shout out to our good friend Rob. Oh my god! <laughs> hey Rob, for correcting us on our previous episode, um, and I think probably so, a part one episode or maybe a couple episodes we've mentioned this from part one. Yeah, I think last episode we were talking, or you had mentioned how um, from part one um, when Dio grabs jonathan's artery i'm not gonna name the specific artery yet <laughs> um how that kind of made you cringe a bit compared to what happened in this oh in the, the previous one. episode wamu slits joseph's wrist right, and it's, right it like makes me like shudder a bit but it's nowhere near as nasty as that part from part one and so we were trying to figure out the name of that artery that Dio grabs um in part one and i think i had specified the name but I had mispronounced it, so... So court. tell everyone, how, how did you pronounce it? I pronounced it carotid, <laughs> like like a carrot. <laughs> As it's, I mean, kind of spelled, I don't know. In the subtitles that we saw, it was C-A-R-A-T-I-D? No, it was still, it was C-A-R-O-T-I-D. Oh, okay, so maybe I was wrong. But our good friend Rob corrected us in the Snapchat saying that it is carotid 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 artery so we apologize everyone who yeah, had to sit there yeah. and listen to us mispronounce and butcher this artery name for like a couple of different episodes but we got it now it's carotid and we even looked up a video on youtube that had the word in it so that we could correctly pronounce it i'm sorry i don't have any medical expertise <laughs> but yeah thank you rob for correcting my potato potato moment I guess. thanks rob <laughs> So now onto the episode itself. Um, this episode is a special one for me because it is the introductory episode for the one and only Lisa Lisa, who is one of my all-time favorite JoJo characters out of probably the whole JoJo universe. I love Lisa Lisa really? so much. Yeah, she's great. I think that, first of all, her character design is absolutely gorgeous. The way she's drawn almost reminds me of like, Okay, this is going to be very, very specific, but maybe there's some of you out there who can understand or visualize what I'm describing here. But on like first glance, her character design looks very much like one of those 80s drawn posters for like a nail salon. 
okay. <laughs> right? Do, can, can you envision that? I was thinking more of like a femme fatale from like those espionage films from the yeah early i can see that too. too yeah but i can also see like yeah, some makeup or salon yeah right posters. like you go past like an old school salon um and they've got like those you know sun bleached pictures in the window and like one of them at least one of them is like that old school 80s drawing of like a woman with like flowing hair and like her nails or whatever are like showing and that's what her design reminds me of and like i have an affinity for you know all things 80s and i think she's drawn very beautifully so i'm like all about her character design plus her character um, conceptually is very interesting to me, it's particularly in this episode. And I'll, I'll mention this a little bit later, but I mean, given her backstory and the fact that she has to kind of maintain this facade and keep her cool and she's just all around really skilled and fantastic at Hamon, I just think that she's a, a very formidable character. And one of the things I won't get too into it now, but we'll, we'll get there when we get there in part two. But one of the things I really was disappointed with um, in the writing for part two is that we never actually get to see her in action. It's clear she is amazing at Hamon. Um, she's a master for a reason. And that's the one thing I would have wished out of part two is that we would get more. I don't know. We would get more insight into her skills in action on the battlefield. But I digress. She is an amazing character, and I'm very glad that I can talk about her now. Yeah, let's finally hear that Lisa Lisa plot. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's coming. The, the The plot is is forthcoming. <laughs> yeah, however you want to view the word plot. But to your point about how again we're introduced to Lisa Lisa, and I had kind of the same sentiments. Um, in now watching part two for the second time, is that we really never get to see her skills if i recall correctly outside of this episode and later on when she faces against uh was it it was cars right yeah and i think i made this reference in my notes it's another star wars reference guys but she's kind of like the um the jedi master to joseph and caesar's padawans more specifically kind of like yoda in the original trilogy for Empire Strikes Back because we we see in that movie that he is like this master in the force that is that um, Obi-Wan sends Luke over to in order to train and that's the same case here where like Caesar um, escorts Joseph to be trained by Lisa Lisa but again we don't really get to see her in action too much um, obviously this episode it's more focused on um, Caesar and Joseph's test of strength when it comes to Hamon and Joseph developing his abilities. But yeah, that's one part of part two that I would love to have seen more. And I know there's probably not an OVA about Lisa Lisa anywhere, although that would be kind of interesting to watch. That would be amazing to watch. But yeah, yeah, I'll continue to gush over her for the rest of part two. Anytime she makes an appearance, like just be ready for it. I'm a big Lisa Lisa fan. Mm -hmm. And I'll make allusions to this throughout our discussion but it is kind of odd watching some of joseph's interactions with lisa lisa and i'll just say it right off the bat um this is all within the context of knowing now that she is his mother <laughs> wah, wah, wah. yeah so again talk about like oedipus complex throughout this episode and i'm sure 
you know, the more that they interact throughout this part two, um, I'll just always have that thought in the back of my head. Yeah. And so will Joseph once he realizes that that's his mom. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but let's go ahead and jump right into our summary for part two, episode seven, Lisa Lisa Hamon Coach. Joseph who struggles to unpack the madness of his deal with the Pillarmans as Shiza takes him to Venice in search of his Hamon Coach. As the pair hail a masked gondolier to take them to the nearby Air Suplana Island, the boater attacks them and reveals that, Mamma Mia, it's none other than Lisa Lisa Hamon Coach. The sultry sensei slaps a breathing correction mask on Joseph to kick off his Hamon training and escorts the pair to the island where they are tasked with climbing the lengthy, girthy, and slippery monstrosity that is the hell climb pillar using only their Hamon abilities. Ooh, he thick. <laughs> the Hamon hotheads attempt to scale the pillar over the course of two to three days, wherein Joseph, Joseph who learns through Shiza how to focus his Hamon energy through his fingertips. Just as all is going well, however, Joseph who activates the pillar's trap card, which causes it to spew blades of high-pressure oil at the 20-meter mark. While Shiza manages to repel the barrier gracefully to reach the top, Joseph who uses unorthodox methods to travel to the barrier's weakest point in order to bypass it but is promptly assisted by Shiza at the last second. They're not all out of love, but mostly all out of breath, air supply pun intended. Without a moment to catch their breaths, Lisa Lisa summons her assistants, Messina and Loggins, to train Josephu and Shiza in a swift 80s training montage that carries them through to just seven days until the rings release their poison on Josephu's insides. They really aren't Messina around with moving the story along, are they? And now on to our next segment of the show, Is That a Music Reference, where we document any and all nods, homages, and tributes that this extraordinary anime makes to the ordinary world of music. And we have plenty in store for this episode after the Darth of music references in the last one. So obviously, first off, we have the character Lisa Lisa, which is the stage name for Lisa Velez, an American singer-slash-actress who rose to fame in the 80s as part of the band Lisa Lisa and Cult Jam. Um, the only song that I kind of know by Lisa Lisa is Can You Feel the Beat? Um, I need to hear it because, as you know, I'm terrible with titles. Yeah, I'm going to play it really quick, at least for me and Courtney, just so we can recall it. Obviously, for copyright reasons, we can't play it on the podcast, but give us one second, folks. Okay, yeah. I know that song. Yeah, so my poor attempt of uh, replicating is, can you feel it, right? You're, you're sounding like I'll Gloria Stefan. Oh, the rhythm of the, oh, it's going to feel it in my heart, right? Yeah, I'm surprised. Was there ever like a, a legal battle over those two songs? Like, I don't know, one was ripping off the other? Or maybe like someone just probably mashed it up, uh, realizing that they have similar <laughs> rhythms. Um, the second music reference in this episode, which is kind of interesting, is Air Suplana Island, which is a reference to Air Supply, a British-Australian soft rock music duo, which I believe is one of my dad's favorite bands, because I know a lot of their songs, um, some of which are making love out of nothing at all. And as I alluded to in the summary, um, All Out of Love, Here I Am, and even the nights are better. So, yeah, air supply. I had no idea until you looked that up that was supposed to be air supply. And is that is that because 
Air Suplina is a localized name, or do they actually call it Air Suplina in the Japanese version? I think it's called Suplina. Like they say Suplina um, in the Japanese dub. That's interesting because everything else is like, well, not literally everything. Like Zeppeli isn't a one for one for Led Zeppelin. So I guess I could see why Air Supply and Air Suplina wouldn't be a one to one. I was going to say, I, I don't know if like or in an Italian pronunciation, it would be Suplena, but I don't think Suplena is the actual word for supply in Italian. But I think they just again, made that intentional so that they could avoid any copyright issues. Um, the last music reference that I noted in this episode is with the characters, uh, Lisa Lisa's assistant, Messina and Loggins, who are references to Loggins and Messina, a 70s American rock and pop duo consisting of Kenny Loggins and Jim Messina. And I'm not too familiar with the duo's hits, but I think a lot of us know Kenny Loggins a little bit better. Um, he was the voice behind such hits as Footloose from Footloose, Danger Zone from Top Gun. Danger Zone. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm All Right, which was the intro song to Caddyshack. Or for you Cartoon Network fans, um, it was also featured in the show, regular show. Oh, yeah, it was. That's right. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, those are all the music references in this episode. And... I don't know. I just had this random thought um, after compiling this list in particular. I'm wondering if like any of these artists know that they are referenced in an anime. I'd like right. to think that at least a handful of them are aware of what JoJo is. Because, I mean, by now, their YouTube comment pages and, and I'm sure their, their Twitters, if they have them, are flooded with JoJo fans yeah. making JoJo references and confusing the shit out of the boomers who are like, I just want to listen to the music. Who is this JoJo person <laughs> you keep talking about? Well, yeah, I don't know if there's like any interviews or videos out there where one of these artists or bands like acknowledges that um, their, their, their likenesses are being used in this anime. But I'll one up you. Do you think Jojo Siwa knows what Jojo's Bizarre Adventure is? <laughs> I would hope so. I mean, there are also just memes of her out there. Yeah. Where, like she's considered a, a Jojo and people have drawn her in like the Jojo style. But yeah, it was just a thought lingering in the back of my head. And if any of you out there do know if these bands have acknowledged Jojo being a part of their lives now, please let us know. Now it's time for the JoJo meme rundown, where we list each new JoJo meme that appeared in this episode. I'll stop right there. I don't have any. Any that like mm. stuck out to me anyway. We did get another oh no from Joseph, um, but I don't think there were any major memes. As always, if we missed any, please, please, please let us know. You can reach out to us on our website, on our Instagram, on our Twitter page. Um, and yeah, we will take all of your, your meme recommendations. So I'm glad that you had a long list of music references because we're, we're a little dry in the meme well right now. I feel like it's going to be like that every now and then. Um, but it's just nice to have those peppered in when they are. I do want to make a quick reference, a quick part five reference. Ooh, rare opportunity mm. here um, before we dive into like actually breaking down this episode. And I just thought of... Well, first of all, Italy and, and Rome, but also Venice. It makes me think of part five as a whole, but specifically with this episode being in Venice, it reminds me of Giaccio from part five and his Venice rant. Oh. When he's all pissed the, off. The guy who's like ice. 
Yeah, the guy who has the same voice actor as Bakugo, so he's like screaming in his Bakugo voice why people are pronouncing Venice the wrong way when they say it in English. Oh, because he's like, it's Venezia or whatever. Yeah. (laughs) I completely forgot about that. Um, What I did want to comment, though, in terms of Venice is like just the way that David production animated these like beautifully like sunlit backgrounds in contrast to, you know, the dark caverns of the Colosseum that we saw in the previous episode. Yeah, this episode looked gorgeous. Any mm-hmm. any shot of Erisipina Island was amazing. And I love how they kind of had that fish eye lens view of the islands so that you could get kind of that full scope of like the size of the island, how far it is from the mainland. Um, is it a real island? I have no fucking idea. I don't think it is. <laughs> That'd be cool if it was. You know, there's a fucking Hamon oil pillar in the middle of uh, Italy. Yeah, was that an innuendo? You know, <laughs> I like to They're think They're putting so. their, just their fingers on this pillar. I mean, Joseph. it's lubricated with oil. <laughs> it's very lubricated. And Joseph did point out that it widens at the top. Oh, yeah. So... And it starts spinning. Burning oil <laughs> activates the trap. <laughs> yeah, I like to think that maybe there is some sort of innuendo there, but mm. only Iraqi knows for sure. Yeah. I would say this episode overall is not a super exciting episode, but that's not to downplay the episode by any means because I think in lieu of having excitement, it does a lot to progress the plot. Not only time-wise because we get that montage at the end that like, you know, fast forwards to basically what, seven days before the rings release their poison. Mm-hmm. Um, but even before that, it progresses Joseph's development rapidly, rapidly. Um, so I'm fine having a montage because I, I don't know if I would want to have a training arc just given everything that comes after this episode. Uh, maybe if it had its, if part two had its own season, I could see dedicating a few episodes to a training arc. But I'm actually glad that they just chose to do a quick montage for that, whether or not that's how it is in the manga. But yeah, I would say even though it wasn't like a lot that happened and it wasn't high energy, um, of course, we get the introduction of Lisa Lisa. We get Joseph's development as well as Caesar's development and growth within their relationship as the two become much closer as friends. So pretty good episode in my opinion. But starting off from the top... Um, with that first scene of Caesar teaching Joseph how to keep, well, trying to teach him anyway, how to keep the water in the cup when it's upside down using his hamon, I found it really interesting and kind of like a cool way to think of hamon, um, when Caesar explained that like Joseph is just exploding his energy all out at once and it's a waste of energy. That's whereas, what she said. <laughs> whereas Caesar is concentrating it, um, to the tips of his fingers in order to not only preserve his hamon energy, but also to increase, I guess, the volatility of it because he uses the, um, why am I blanking on the word? Like the example, I guess, um, Oh, like the the water gun? Yeah, like the water gun, like the smaller the nozzle, the farther the water will shoot out of the, the water gun. And that was, that's like a really cool way of thinking about Hamon. And we get throughout this whole season, you know, different snippets of like Hamon potential. And while all of them are cool, the only one that really struck me was the ability to control other beings with Hamon, as we see in part one with the zombie, you know, grabbing onto the ship's whatever pissed in and blowing mm-hmm. the ship up and then of course caesar in this part using it to control that woman uh, but i would actually say this is another cool concept of hamon that doesn't feel like it's just a throwaway because a lot of these have been throwaways like a rocky forgot moments so here we get that whole concept of like this is how you 
you concentrate your hamon in order to increase the power without having to physically increase your own power. And I think it's a hamon ability or trait that makes sense to introduce um, in the context of Joseph's character because, like we've always or like we've been discussing, like Joseph is not very well trained in hamon. Like he. He knows it's an ability that he can use, but he's very brash um, when it comes to, to using it. Um, so I think the challenge that Caesar poses for him to practice his hamon by holding the water upside down in a glass is like a, a visual action or like metaphor, I guess, that is constantly referenced, or I guess not constantly, but it's referenced again towards the end of this episode. Um, sort of like coming full circle as we see Joseph's hamon abilities like actually develop over the course of the episode. It's kind of like to make a Harry Potter reference when Ron is trying to learn the Wingardium Leviosa spell. You're looking um, at me like I know I don't know. I, I know I don't watch Harry Potter. <laughs> but yeah, there's like slight character development with Ron Weasley learning that spell in Harry Potter or to kind of go off the the theme of like 80s pop culture it's like the the wax on wax off training okay that reference i do know yes that's a great movie (laughs) yeah um so yeah it's again it's just a nice visual example of joseph's hormone abilities growing in this episode i also just love as i've always mentioned you know this these moments that we get where two characters are very opposite and and we get to see that dynamic this opening scene is another one of those moments because joseph is freaking out like he's sitting in the chair with his legs like pulled up to his chest like just saying why didn't i say a year instead of a month you know i'm, I'm gonna die or whatever and he's just like calm the fuck down dude we gotta focus and i also think it's a great juxtaposition between joseph and jonathan because jonathan if he were in a similar situation where and he has been where he's kind of at a disadvantage he would you know he would move quickly to to find a way to overcome that um, and to maintain his cool in doing so. But here we have Joseph where the first thing out of his mouth after he gets the wedding rings of death, at least from what we see, is him panicking and being like, oh, shit, what the fuck did I do? Why did I say a month? I should have said a year. So I just I really appreciate that they always keep to Joseph's character so, so closely, um, even in this moment where the hero is supposed to be the one who says, shit, this sucks, but I'm going to overcome it. And, you know, I got to keep my my. I got to keep my cool. I got to stay focused. And he's not like that at all. <laughs> I mean, granted, Jonathan didn't have this like ticking time bomb inside his body like Joseph did. So I can understand Joseph's initial reaction. True. Because... But Jonathan did fight Dio in his house, which was on fire. And <laughs> yeah. you know, everyone was dead around. <laughs> That's also true. Um, and for me, the, the one takeaway from this uh intro scene is i love that joseph says his least favorite words are work and try (laughs) i feel you joseph (laughs) in that first scene in venice um, or at least when they're walking outside in venice i never noticed that joseph and caesar are just striking a pose on like the the sidewalk or whatever it is next to the river i'm like i I, it's, it's very quick it's like the first shot you get of um you know wherever they're heading to to meet with lisa lisa and i'm like what the fuck are they doing (laughs) they're just standing Mm. there in pose mode and i'm like you know perfect jojo moment 
But um, I think one of the best parts about this introduction for Lisa Lisa is how immediately she just stunts all over Joseph with her, her hamon skills and then smacks him in the face with an oar. Like, of all the ways that you can, you know, not only introduce yourself as a hamon master, but also reunite with your son, who you haven't seen since he was a baby, is to <laughs> smack him in the face with an oar and send his ass into the water. Yeah, it's like, welcome to Venice, Joseph. Bitch. <laughs> <laughs> but we see Joseph walk across the water um, with his feet in the water and the reason i call this out is because it reminds me of a one-to-one with jonathan when he was training with zapelli um both of them are you know at first learning to walk on water like you know jesus or something and they cannot keep their feet out of the water i think they're both submerged probably to about their ankles or so so while no one really calls that out in this case because i think in part one zapelli does say like you need to practice more so you can keep your feet out of the water here, no one comments on the fact that Joseph is still kind of like semi-submerged. Um, rather, they're focusing on the fact that he can even do that at all, given his lack of training. But I just thought it was a great kind of subtle nod to Jonathan's own training arc um, and learning to use Hamon and, and master it in preparation for his big battle. So I don't know. Maybe that was intentional. Maybe it wasn't. But I did see it as a kind of a, a one-to-one. See, the way that I looked at it is Lisa Lisa acknowledges that Joseph has this ability or like he's able to use Hamon to somewhat walk on water signaling that this is a very kind of basic skill that a Hamon user can have right and I kind of compare this to the way that Joseph is able to get himself out of the pillar at the end um, because he acknowledges that he is shit at using Hamon uh, unlike Caesar who uses that what, it, what do you call it? Sticking and splitting Hamon? Yeah. Um, but the way that Joseph um, is able to escape the pillar is he kind of uses that same basic um, skill set where he kind of travels using his hands across the oil, much like he's walking across the water. Again, it's a very basic skill, but again, this kind of harkens back to, you know, Joseph using his street smarts to his advantage, where, again, it's this one skill that he has, kind of like Zenitsu has this one one technique in Demon Slayer, but he, again, he uses it um, to his advantage uh, to, to get out of whatever situation he is stuck in, especially with climbing the pillar. After he makes it out of the water, I did find it funny. And to your point earlier about, you know, him making comments about his own mother unknowingly, um, he does comment that he could never marry a girl like her, but that she's kind of cute. And I'm like, who? <laughs> <laughs> and again, you can't fault Joseph because that's his personality, right? Like he's he's a flirt. Let's let's be honest. But he also doesn't know that that's his mom. He thinks his mom is dead, right? That she died of like disease or some shit. I, can't I think remember. that's what that's what he was Aaron told had. by yeah, Eddie and our speedwagon. Yeah. So he thinks his mom is dead. So in his mind, there's absolutely no way that this could be his mother. It's not even a thought that crosses his mind. So, yes, it, it is gross. You know, we'll, we'll kind of talk about that as these these things progress. Um, but I fully I fully expect that when Joseph does find the, out the truth about Lisa Lisa that, you know, that all stops. <laughs> um, but anyway, the point I'm trying to get to is that Caesar says that he respects Lisa Lisa like he respects his own mother. And I love that because, again, that's just like another um juxtaposition between two very different characters where joseph's immediate reaction is to be vindictive and want to get back at her for throwing him in the water and putting the mask on his face 
And then Caesar's like very proper. And even though he's also a flirt, he's like, don't talk about her that way. You know, you have to show her respect. But I did find it interesting that she's a mother, a mother figure to Caesar to a certain degree, um, even though ironically her own son is now in the picture. <laughs> I think it's also just a little foreshadowing um, that, again, watching this on the first viewing, you might not have noticed. But to your point, it's just comparing and contrasting Joseph and Caesar's personalities. And I have to say, props to Lisa Lisa for seeing her son again for the first time since he was a baby and maintaining her cool the entire time. Like, I can't imagine how hard it must be for her to push Joseph to the degree that she is um, and be so cold to him right off the bat. But I think it's my, my headcanon is that she knows that his life is literally on the line. And if she doesn't train him right, her son will be killed. So that that's a lot of pressure um, from the get-go. So I'm sure she needs to keep him focused on the battle at hand and not distract him with the knowledge that, yes, I am actually your mother. Um, plus, you know, make sure that he's trained the right way from the get-go. And she only has 30, 31 days, I think, by this time. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, she needs to move quickly to get him to master his hamon. So there's a lot of reasons... Um, I'm sure that play into her decision to keep her relationship with Joseph a secret, um, you know, until it's finally it's finally revealed in the end of part two. Yeah, it's just tough love. And there are a couple instances during the uh, the hell climb pillar um, where you see it as well. But one thing I did want to mention with this scene before we move to that pillar scene is Lisa Lisa's entrance music with the guitar and violin is just beautiful. It's good. It's very good. Yeah, it's like this flamenco style. And for those of you who have listened into our Code Geass podcast, it's kind of like um, the nightmare theme for, is it Suzaku's Lancelot? Where it's weird because, like, Lisa Lisa is, like, she is of English or British heritage. Well, but, assumingly so. Oh, it's, it's, it, I mean, yes, because they, they boarded the ship from from england Mm -hmm. but a lot of fans are like well we can't know for sure what she really is but yeah let's be honest she's probably english yeah but again this sort of music like i said it's it's sort of like a flamenco or spanish um influence style but it's this scene takes place in italy so it's (laughs) a whole mesh of like cultural um or differences in cultures but I think it just works very well for her entrance because it's a very empowering, um, very empowering score for such a badass character. And I think it, it plays well into what she's literally doing at that moment. Like she's standing on an oar. She's like floating above it. And like the hamon ripples that are coming out from under her feet are like perfectly shaped into like almost like a flower or something. Um, and she's, she's very elegant in this moment. Um, and it's almost like a dance that she's doing and mm-hmm. i feel like this song plays well into that too to your point yeah i guess you could consider it her own jojo theme yeah um, <laughs> and on the topic of family we do get that quick scene before they move into the hell climb pillar where um smoky edina and speedwagon are catching up i don't know they're sipping tea they're they're living life and I love how Joseph threatened Speedwagon <laughs> that if he dares tell Edina about the poison rings, that he would like punch him in the face. And it's as always because he loves his grandma and doesn't want her to be worried or upset. Like they didn't need to add the scene in, right? Like it's very quick. Um, you know, we don't we don't necessarily need to know what's going on right now. But the fact that they took that that 
you know, quick moment to show us what's going on. And more importantly, that no matter what, Joseph always has his family top of mind, I thought was a really good choice. What does he say? He says, if you tell Irina, I'll slug you so hard. <laughs> Something like that. Yeah. yeah. And I just love like, you know, Speedwagon's thinking about Joseph telling him this, but his Speedwagon's um, facial expression is still very pensive. Like he's, <laughs> he knows that this is how Joseph acts. Yeah. But he just reflects on that so um so calmly <laughs> it's just funny yeah i'm sure joseph has made many many empty threats like that to speedwagon but he would never actually lay a hand on speedwagon mm -hmm. he may prank him to death but i don't think he'd ever actually hit him and I, I i to your point i think speedwagon knows that yeah so then we reach the hell climb pillar and this is the majority of this episode and a lot happens but not a lot happens at the it's same your favorite time favorite phrase isn't it what a lot happens, but a lot doesn't happen. <laughs> you know, it's kind of like you with um, subverting subverting expectations. expectations. Also, I'm gonna make a Star Wars reference oh, yeah. or a Dark Knight reference. <laughs> we all we both have our catchphrases, but yes, a lot happens, but really not a lot happens. Um, it does take place over 61 hours, which is kind of wild to think about. But yeah, they climb a big girthy pillar filled with oil. That's really all that happens. Yeah, it's like uh. I wrote a note like Hamon Ninja Warrior. <laughs> I know there's like that one obstacle that kind of just tests your upper body strength. Yeah, okay. I think in Ninja Warrior, the old school one, it was the salmon ladder. The one that you're like, you have to constantly use your... Yeah, you have like the bar in your two hands and then like you have to climb it by like using your momentum to mm -hmm. like push the bar up to the next rung. Whatever you call it, like yeah. groove thing. And then you make it to the top. I've always, whenever I watch it, I feel like every athlete was like, that's the hardest one to overcome. Mm -hmm. but, but anyway. Yeah. Thinking of this, like, in terms of what uh, the physical stress of it, like, I can't imagine the agony of, like, clinging onto this pillar for over 48 hours. And for Joseph, that's on top of wearing this mask that restricts your breathing which i know is actually a, a real thing that people use um in workouts or exercises wait really it's a real thing yeah well, i'm pretty sure one of our friends uses it i've seen it in like his snapchat that's crazy it's a it's a way for you to like again control your breathing much like here it's a way for yeah joseph to control his breathing to better utilize his hormone huh well i learned something new today mm -hmm. right off the bat I want to point out something very, very important, critical to this episode and to the overall story of JoJo's Bizarre Adventure. Caesar is wearing his suspenders backwards. Why is he wearing his suspenders backwards? It bothers the shit out of me. <laughs> like, I, I don't understand why he's wearing his suspenders backwards. Yes, please look up a picture. I was like, what is that? Is he wearing a body chain or something? Then I realized he's wearing them backwards because the back part of the suspenders like go straight down the center of his chest oh, and i'm like why and then i thought maybe it was something else like something you know fashiony but then when you get the back shots of him climbing up the the pillar i'm like oh my god that's the regular way that suspenders are supposed to look but it's on his back <laughs> so the whole episode i was so distracted by the fact that he is wearing his suspenders backwards to quote friday night dinner i don't know fashion <laughs> <laughs> but it's funny because i just googled this on my phone and, you know, there's like the suggested searches. And one of them that popped up was Caesar Suspenders. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm just reading off 
Um, for a search result, someone wrote like awfully bold of Caesar to call Joseph dumb when he can't even wear his suspenders the right way. <laughs> well, that's a good question, though. Do we think this is intentional? I mean, Caesar is pretty fashion forward, like most of the main JoJo characters. So do we think this is intentional or do we think this was an accident? Maybe Araki was trying to introduce a fashion trend um, through the manga by intentionally drawing Caesar this way. But I didn't even catch that because I was just more focused on the act, the quote unquote action of this, of this whole pillar climbing scene. Well, yes, we'll, we'll move into that. And now that I've, I've said my piece about the, the backward suspenders, um, but I think that I think that this is um, similar to the last episode when we had kind of that that key moment when Caesar realizes that Joseph is not running away. He's trying to lure the enemy away from him and Speedwagon and starts to kind of realize the, the type of person Joseph is. I think this is another critical moment for their relationship um, or their friendship rather um, where the two of them, I think, have a turning point. Like this is probably the turning point because they go from being, um, you know, sassy with each other to joseph cheering caesar on and caesar being incredibly worried about joseph and then caesar saving joseph's joseph's life at the very end and like begging lisa lisa to you know stop the the climb so that joseph doesn't die i mean this is this is stuff that you would never have seen from the two of them in their friendship before this moment yeah it's like a complete 180 for caesar and it's i guess this is a continuation of like that buddy cop relationship uh between the both of them where you know like caesar now is expressing um not his feelings but like you said he expresses his worry for joseph because he knows how inexperienced he is although joseph proves that he can still get out of tough situations and then for uh caesar to to reach out to joseph um as he is like close to falling back down the pillar just affirms that like they have a much closer bond than they did before. Yeah, and I think um I think it's very obvious in the moment where Joseph sees the crack in the pillar and then puts his hand in there and activates the switch which like then activates the razor sharp oil being spurted out of the side of the pillar um because Joseph apologizes to Caesar and Caesar just looks at him and Joseph mm. mistakes that as thinking that Caesar's pissed at him and then we get Caesar's inner monologue that reveals he's actually looking at Joseph with worry because he doesn't know if Joseph has the ability to get past the pressurized oil wall and I mean that that could have gone one of two ways Caesar could have easily have been pissed at Joseph because they're so close to the top and Joseph tries to take the easy way out but that thought doesn't even cross Caesar's mind because now he cares more about Joseph as a person um and you know even though earlier on he's like i can't worry about joseph right now i have to focus on saving my energy and getting on the top of this pillar he still finds that time to um or that moment to worry about his new friend and whether or not he's gonna fucking die one other thing that i noticed before that whole thing with caesar uh saving joseph at the end um after caesar reaches the top um he mentions to lisa lisa that joseph will go all for all or nothing when it comes to like completing this task and that's why he's so worried that he's going to lose him and I, I don't know if you or I'm sure you caught this but when Joseph decides to go like balls to the wall he says cut finally beat of my hamon and I had to look this up but it's very similar phrasing to uh, something that Jonathan said I believe during his win night's lot fight with Bruford where he says cut finally beat of my blood 
So I thought it was like a very interesting sort of poetic connection between Joseph and his grandfather in that, you know, they, they declare these things as a way to reaffirm that they aren't, they will not give up with whatever task they see before them. Yeah, I thought that too. I thought that, um, you know, while it happens at a different point in Jonathan's arc, um, I think that it's for both characters, it's at a, a critical point in, in their character developments. And you're right. I think that kind of is like them, you know, pushing themselves that last bit to overcome that obstacle. And to piggyback off of that, I also noticed that in the beginning of Joseph's climb, when he first realizes that Caesar's using his fingertips to climb the pillar and he's like, oh shit, I can do that too. Before he jumps up and starts his climb, he hits a JoJo pose, and it is very, very similar mm. to Jonathan's iconic pose. So, as everyone knows, like each JoJo has a at least one or two specific poses that are iconic to them. Um, you know, specifically Jotaro's pointing pose or um, Giorno's pose, where he's kind of pulling his shirt jacket in two different directions. Like those are the iconic poses for each of the characters, and I don't think it's I identical what joseph does i have to look but it is very very similar where he's got his hand up in front of his face and mm -hmm. that is jonathan's pose so i love these little callbacks to you know the the joseph or the joseph the jojo lineage um to the ones who who came before them um especially in this case when joseph never even met his grandfather and knows very little about him because annie nun speedwagon kind of want to keep things on the down low it just shows that like there's still those connections, even if they're not direct connections. Yeah, poses just run in the family. Hell yeah, they do. <laughs> <laughs> One other thing, this is kind of an aside that I kind of didn't make me cringe, but again, in the context of knowing his relationship with Lisa Lisa, um, earlier he, he in the scene he had begged her for help, but she kind of gives him this death stare, which... I, I kind of envisioned it as, you know, like her being this tiger mom because she wants her <laughs> son to, to succeed uh, without without any assistance, but she doesn't want to, again, reveal that connection. But then he says, your beauty only deepens my rage. And that, again, <laughs> just reaffirms the weird Oedipus I mean, complex. He's not wrong. She's <laughs> she's good looking. No, but... <laughs> no, yeah. But again, Where do you think he gets his good looks from, yeah, I guess? Yeah, that's your mother. I know, right? <laughs> Again, had he known, had he known, I'm sure he wouldn't say something like that. Mm -hmm. <laughs> or maybe he would. I don't know. It's Joseph we're talking about. Yeah. Who fucking knows? I did make note of Joseph's rapid climb. Um, I know it's not rapid necessarily, but compared to Caesar's, he climbs much, much faster. So I think, um, I think when Joseph starts climbing several hours in, he's only like 10 meters or so behind Caesar. And then he catches up to him really fast because the narrator kind of gives us the the different points that they're at on the pillar and then the certain timestamps. And like Joseph goes from like bottom, like zero to like 10 meters up to like 16 meters and Caesar's only 18 meters or whatever. And so the amount of time that it takes Caesar to climb, Joseph does it much faster, even though he wasted a lot of time and a lot of energy at the bottom of the pillar. So I think that's an, a subtle nod too to Joseph's abilities because in the beginning of the episode... Caesar does comment that they're both equal in Hamon's strength, but Caesar's more skilled in actually using Hamon. Um, but here, Joseph is just starting his training, and already he's picking up this stuff very quickly just from the little tip that Caesar gave him and just, you know, observing Caesar on the pillar. I think he, even after his little Hamon trick to slide along the barrier, he also jumps an additional three meters, which leaves yeah. him with only the one meter 
um, to climb, which he reaches by or with uh, Caesar's assistance. And even Lisa Lisa comments that he says using his weakness to his advantage is quite clever. So again, Joseph knows what he's doing. Like he has he has the abilities. It's just that he needs to fine tune and hone them in now. And all in all, it takes them 61 hours to reach the full 24 meters. And in those 61 hours, presumably, they have not eaten. They have not had anything to drink. They have not gone to sleep. They haven't shit. They haven't peed. <laughs> mm-hmm. They haven't done anything. And I'm like, this is Jojo logic at its finest. Like, <laughs> At the very least, they're going to have to go to the bathroom, right? Like, that's that's a guarantee. But the fact that they can't sleep for the 61 hours and still can maintain their breathing and all of their energy without having any sustenance or any water. I'm like, how? That's not possible. And how did that happen? Yeah. They probably would have had muscle loss too, but they're still buff as hell. Yeah. And then I think they kind of just jump right into more training. Like they only have a second to debrief after this too. And maybe, I don't know, maybe you can like spin it that it's, you know, Hamon keeps someone looking young, as we learned from Straight So, um, that it like slows down the aging process. But I don't think it slows down how hungry you get, right? Like, I think you still mm-hmm. need to eat and sleep and drink and go to the bathroom. You got to poop, okay? You have I to mean, poop. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> you need to still keep some semblance of sanity through sustenance. But hey, these are JoJo characters we're talking about, and it's a Rocky writing the story. So we'll take it as it is. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but yeah, I, I think with um, the Hell Climb Pillar, all in all, this trial solidifies Caesar and Joseph's friendship. And obviously, Joseph learned a lot in the 61 hours because when he gets to the top, after he's threatening Lisa Lisa um, with all the, the, the teasing and pranks that he's going to do to her, she throws him a, a glass of water, and he's able to keep the water in the cup while it's upside down without even really thinking about it. Full and, circle. And then he realizes, oh, shit, she's the real deal and begs her <laughs> to teach him more. So I think this is great. And Caesar notes that it only takes Joseph three days to learn how to control his hamon, which, again, is, is similar to Jonathan, where he fast-tracks his training because he has so much potential. And quick notes on the credits before we move into final thoughts. I think now we've heard the complete, the completed roundabout song um, because as the 80s training montage with Messina and Loggins begins, the roundabouts, the last roundabout solo picks up and it continues through the credits and it plays through the very ending of the song. So I think we're talking about whether or not um, the whole song would be utilized in this season, but it definitely is. Oh, I didn't realize that. That makes Mm -hmm. me think like the only other anime that comes to mind that uses, at least I think it uses the entire song, is Gurren Lagann because they use both halves or almost the whole song. Yeah, there's a bridge that they don't use. Okay, Uh, well, shit. Then I was wrong. (laughs) No, no, I'll take that back. There is um, in the climax of the series, I think they use the whole song. Um, There's like a battle sequence, if you remember. Yeah, Yeah, yeah. And they, they play that. Okay, so then mm-hmm. maybe I'm half right. Well, that's that's pretty cool that they were able to utilize an entire seven-minute song in JoJo. <laughs> yeah, like I said previously, it's like the song is also coinciding with the story that's happening throughout the show. And, you know, the solo just fits in well with this this very quick training montage. And so that brings us to our final thoughts for part two, episode seven, Lisa, Lisa, Hamon, coach 
What did you think about this climb of an episode? Um, like I said, it's it's a pretty chill episode. Um, there's definitely tension as we, you know, watch Caesar and Joseph make their way up the hell climb pillar and oh no, will they reach the top? Well, anime logic, yes, they, they do reach the top. It's called plot armor, right? So um that that's fun to watch, but it's not super exciting or compelling. But the key takeaways here are again, Joseph's physical development in Hamon and his like, I don't know what you want to call it, emotional development mm-hmm. with his friendship with Caesar and his kind of focus on training so that he can, you know, not fucking die by these wedding rings of death and by these pillar men. Um, and of course you get the introduction of Lisa Lisa, who I absolutely love and that's awesome to me. So I think overall it's not super exciting, but it's super important to the story. So I wouldn't see it as like a filler episode by any means. I think it is a very critical episode to the overall plot. What about you? What did you think? Yeah. Similar sentiments. That was a good episode. Um, to harken back to my Star Wars reference, it's very reminiscent of Luke training with Yoda on Dagobah, especially with uh, Lisa Lisa's delayed reveal that you know that she's not the gondolier; she's actually the Hamon coach. Like you said, it's it. This episode just shows the continued development of this bond between Caesar and Joseph, which I feel like I kind of glossed over in my initial viewing of Part Two. Um, more so in the context of Caesar's demise, because I felt like Joseph and Caesar really didn't have a strong bond. But I think rewatching these will kind of further cement or like confirm Joseph's visceral reaction again to, to what happens to Caesar later this season. Um, but also, I just feel like this episode was almost like an homage to those 80s or vintage sports or training movies with the way that the, the story is presented. And maybe that's just Araki hearkening to JoJo's roots and 80s pop culture. Um, but yeah, that, that teacher-student trope was very strong in this episode. So yeah. Well, next episode, we get Joseph's first battle against ACDC. Yeah, you see that in the preview. And I'm pretty sure you will have something to talk about in your meme rundown. I was going to say the same thing. Yes, there's a fantastic <laughs> meme that comes mm-hmm. out of this battle. Like, just just fantastic. A great Iraqi moment in general. Like, he likes to plant these very random fucking things in his stories. And let's just say ACDC is fucking random. <laughs> yeah, I forgot what happened. I mean, I kind of remember what happens in this episode, but to get reacquainted with it will be a treat. And that wraps up episode 16 of Strictly JoJo. If you enjoyed the podcast and would like to support the show, then head over to patreon.com slash the Strictly series and subscribe on your favorite podcast service so you can be notified when new episodes premiere every other Monday. Follow us on Instagram at the Strictly series and on Twitter at Strictly series and connect with us there or on our website, thestrictlyseries.com to share your thoughts on JoJo's bizarre adventure. You'll also find more info on Strictly Anime, our other podcasts for anime reviews and discussions. Thank you so much for listening and sharing our love of JoJo. Stay weep, everyone. To be continued.